0: Revelation chapter 18, verse 23. Good to have the Calmers with us. Good to have one of our Gideons with us. God bless you. Uh, I was with BIMI for 19 years in military ministry. Uh, my father-in-law, Al Sly, was in Panama. You may have known him or met him, and uh, he was military pastor there in Panama. And I was on the other side from him. And then I was in Okinawa, Maranatha Baptist for seven years. And I have a lot of friends at BIMI, good people. We're looking at Revelation chapter 18, verse 23, and then we're going to go to chapter 12, and I'm going to do something a little different tonight. I'm going to jump all over the place. I know I usually do exposition, I usually go through a chapter. That's not what we're going to do tonight. We're going to talk about the subject of Satan and his deception, and I've entitled this, By Thy Sorceries Were All Nations Deceived. And so if you stand with me, we're going to read, I'm going to just Mention, chapter 18, verse 23, the last line of that verse says this, By thy sorceries were all nations deceived. And Then I'm reading from Revelation chapter 12, verse 7, which says, And there was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought against his angels, and prevailed not. Neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil, and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out unto the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. God bless us as we take a look in the book for a walk in the world. Help us, Lord, bless us. We need something tonight, as we are in a battle daily with the enemy, a spiritual warfare, and we ask you to bless us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. and may be seated. The Barna Group did a survey and concluded that only 30% of the population believe that Satan is a living being. Years ago when I was doing my undergrad work, there was a book out, Satan is Alive and Well on Planet Earth. The author is a guy named Hal Lindsey, and a book from a long time ago, and he's still alive and well on the planet Earth. He's a prince in power of the air. He's a ruler of darkness, and God has allowed him to go to and fro in this earth and just cause all kinds of problems. I know our text refers to his sorceries, and that's a Greek word you're familiar with because it's the word pharmokia. our word pharmacy comes from that. Isn't that interesting? His sorceries, his deception. And of course, we know that uh, drugs and, and alcohol probably as well are used by him to manipulate people's minds, to confuse people, and to bring people out of reality and distort their viewpoint on things, and he's the master of deception, isn't he? Uh, this Greek word is only found three times in the entire New Testament, and used here several places. It's found in uh, Revelation 9:21. It's found in Galatians 5:20, where it's translated "witchcraft." Witchcraft and witchcraft uses uh, drugs and and pharmaceuticals as well. I was interested to know that more people are addicted to prescription medication than non-prescription drugs. Isn't that interesting? We talk about all the illegal drugs. And yet, much of our population is in a battle with prescription drugs—things they get legally and have at home. And of course, we could throw alcohol in there as well, and it just makes everything all worse, as alcohol does. Um, but drugs uh, are used in witchcraft and sorcery. And uh, there's another word in Acts chapter eight, verse eleven: uh, magi, which is our word magic. And he's also. Uh, one who uses deception by tricking people, using magic. If you go back even to Genesis with the, with the plagues, remember Satan was involved there as well. Uh, the magicians could do a few things but didn't have the power of God and of course the Lord prevailed. But we're going to talk about many different things today. First of all, the master deceiver has master deceiver, excuse me, has many, many titles, including 2 Corinthians 4:4 4, 4, where he is called the God of this world the God of this world. Now just think about that for a moment. He's the God of this world, this cosmos, this place. That's why the the spirit of Antichrist exists. You can't turn on your television or the news without recognizing someone says something and you say, wait a minute, that's foreign from Scripture. All the belittling that's out there of, of normal, healthy marriages and Normal people. I mean, we're perceived now as being strange and people who have had these operations and done all these goofy things are seen as heroes and normal people who love their wives and love their children and discipline their children and go to church. We're seen by the world as strange or weird. And it's always amazing to me that how Satan has been able to influence this world to that degree. In Ephesians 2.2, 2, he's also called the prince the prince in power of the air. So he's called a god. He's called a prince. And he's not a prince uh, by any sense of the, of that word. But but the fact is, from the world's perspective, he's the prince in power of the air. Then he's called an angel of light. There's nothing good about him. In him, there's no light at all, just darkness. But he's called the angel of light. And then we find in 1 John 2, 18 and 22, he's called the Antichrist. Now there are The word antichrist is interesting in your Bible because it includes everybody who's against Christ. And there are many antichrists. But there's also the definite article, the little word the, before the antichrist. and those places in Scripture, it's referring to the person of Satan when he comes as the antichrist. And remember, in the tribulation, he's going to lead the masses. He's even going to make a covenant with the Jews. Many Jews are going to follow him. But people are going to follow them, and they're going to take the mark of the beast, a a microchip that's going to be inserted in their hand or forehead. If you don't have a hand, it'll be in your forehead. But most people have that microchip, and they'll just scan that to get their groceries. Groceries will be limited because we're now talking about world hunger and world famine, and so we're not going to have our cupboards full. We're going to get a certain amount. We're going to be limited. Not we. i got to be careful in saying we because we're raptured out, all right? The world. And so people who are left behind, they have to get less and less food, and eventually famine's going to hit the whole world. But he's going to be in control of everything. He's called a star, a bright star in Isaiah chapter 14, but the real morning star is the Lord Jesus, the real morning star of Revelation 22. Now, in reality, we, we hear all those great titles for him, the morning star, the Christ, the angel of light, the prince, the God of this world, and all those things sound great, but what he really is, He's really a fallen angel. Between Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28, we know he rebelled against God, and God threw him out of heaven down to the earth. And through all the followers, all his support base, all his other angels that followed him, we now call demons. And they are all false gods. You know, the Bible talks about other gods. There are other gods. They're demons. And they're prevalent in our world. And they're behind all the false teachings of the world, all the false gods of the world. Those are all demon-possessed uh, deities. And so we know he's really a fallen angel. The Bible also says he's a liar and the father of lies, uh, John 8.44. The Bible says he's a murderer in that same passage, John 8.44. Then he's called in Ephesians 6, 11, and 12, the ruler of darkness. The ruler of darkness. 1 Peter 5.8 calls him a roaring lion. Now, I would hate to have a lion after me. I, I would just—I uh, watched a movie when I was an adult about these lions that were killing and eating people, and it was a well-known movie, and I was an adult watching it, and I was so scared I couldn't sleep that night. And I'm thinking, man, I'm not watching any more of those kind of movies. You wake up, and you're thinking about that roaring lion. Well, that's what Satan is. He seeks whom he may devour. And what does the lion do? He always looks for the weakest prey in the herd. And so when you're not prayed up, and you're not in the Word, and you're listening to the things of the world, and you're not in the Bible, and you're not in prayer, uh, you're not with your armor, as we talked about spiritual warfare, and you don't have the sword of the Spirit, guess what? You're the one that's going to get devoured. So be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Put the armor on and so forth. But He's He's a ruler of darkness. He's a roaring lion. He's an adversary. In fact, that's the meaning of the word Satan. He's the word adversary. He's against us. He's not for us. While we said uh, he makes sin look beautiful, sin looks so good. He always makes everything look so good because he's an angel of light. He's actually our adversary. And then Revelation 12.10 says he's the accuser of the brethren. He accuses us. Always falsely, of course. And when we make a mistake, he's quick to throw that in the face of God. But he accuses. And I love the scenarios in heaven where he, several times we find him. We find it in Zechariah. We find it in Job. But where he goes to God and he makes accusations. He always wants to harm us, but he has to get permission to harm us. He can't physically touch us. So then how does he operate? We we talked about this last week. He operates by influencing our minds. And we, we gave you the Greek words and what they meant last week or two weeks ago. And, and you remember that or last Sunday it was. But recognize him and recognize the way he operates. I have several things here I want to mention. Recognize, first of all, that he caused Eve to sin. He's the reason for the fall. He tempted Eve. And, uh, he, he's the reason for evil. He's the one, according to John 13, 27, who caused Judas to betray Jesus. It says that Satan was behind it. He was behind it. He caused Judas to betray Jesus. He caused Ananias to lie. You see, he's the one that puts the thought and the idea in here. When he tempts us, he tells us how good it would be and how we could get by with it, and it's not going to cause any harm. And, and and he's just a master of manipulation. Remember what he did with Peter. Jesus was talking about what was going to happen to him on the cross, how he's going to die, and he was giving ideas and basically speaking to the, the, the followers of his, his 12 about that. And Peter got upset and said, that's not going to happen to you, as though Peter could do anything about it. And he got all worked up and saying things. And what did Jesus say? He said, get thee behind me, Satan as he knew that Peter was being controlled by the manipulator. In 1 Chronicles 21.1, we know he caused David to count the people. Was counting what wrong in and of itself? Of course not. They counted at times. They were taking censuses. They would take a census and so forth. But David was depending on the strength of the Israeli army because of previous victories. He started to think, I wonder how big our army is now. We're so powerful. And the fact that God knew his heart, God was angry, but the Bible said Satan rose up and caused David to count the people. Then the Bible says in 2 Corinthians twelve seven, he buffeted Paul's flesh. He physically harmed Paul. In 1 Thessalonians 2, 8, the Bible says he hindered Paul's travel. So he would actually hinder his travel try to not allow him to get to the place where he felt called to evangelize the people. It just goes on and on. I didn't do this last Sunday morning, but I just want you to think of all the different ways he manipulates and how he works and what he does to us. He accuses believers. Go to Job 1 and you can read all about his accusations. He blinds the minds of people so they can't understand the gospel. You'll share the gospel with someone, they'll clearly understand. But if they don't trust Jesus Christ, a week later, they can't really discern or remember how to trust Jesus Christ. He has done all He could do to try to hinder them from being saved. The Bible says in Mark 4.15, He hinders the word of salvation. Distorts it and twists How many different varieties of salvation do we find in the false teachings and the cults of the world? One denomination says you have to be baptized to be saved. Another says you have to take the Lord's Supper. Some say you can lose your salvation. It's interesting. He says that he gave me eternal life. He gave me eternal life. Present tense, John 10, 28. I'm an eternal being. He gave me eternal life. But some would teach, well, it's not really eternal. You you can lose your salvation. But just think of all the different salvation by works teachings that are out. Different names. You have to believe, you know, that you have to depend on the name of Jehovah. Now, we know that we, we have the upper hand in that as well because that's, Jehovah is a word that was created by scribes to replace Yahweh. They took the consonants from, uh, from, uh, Yahweh and the accent marks from Adonai and came up with Jehovah. And they put that in the text because they didn't want to keep writing Yahweh. They revered that name. So we know when we see Jehovah, that's simply Yahweh the covenant God of the Old Testament. The I am that goes way back before Abraham, Jesus said, I am. So I always tell the Jehovah's Witnesses, you're right, Jehovah is important. That's a hybrid word though for Yahweh of the Old Testament. And the Yahweh of the Old Testament became reality in the New Testament when He was born in Bethlehem. But Jesus Christ has always existed. We just didn't know His name until it was given in Bethlehem. And so we know that the different teachings on salvation and then those that don't teach salvation at all, the different cults that teach you're saved by Buddha or Muhammad or all these other things. Uh, one, one group says, our God is Allah, and uh, yet we find these gods have not been around for very long. All the false gods of the past, where's Baal today? Nobody worships Baal because he never really existed. He was just a demon, just a false god. Where's Asheroth and all the gods of the Greeks and the Romans? They're all gone. You never hear about them today. And But one God's remained the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. The Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God in the flesh. And so we find he He's also, He, he blinds, uh, physically blinds people. We find that uh, in uh, Luke 13, He caused blindness. We find that He caused a woman to be crippled. The Bible said Satan was the reason she was crippled. We we know he's behind all the sickness and so forth in the world. When the curse took place, sickness because of the curse, because of sin, uh, sickness is, is is predominant through our society. I mean, sickness, and we hear every week we're praying for people who are sick. Now, I'm not saying the, the false teaching that if you're sick, it's because you're not right with God. That's also a false teaching. You know, sometimes it may be because you're not right with God. The Bible said he can. God can physically harm us as well, but that's another false teaching. Sickness is of the devil, but that doesn't mean because we have it, we're all going to be sick because of the curse. We're all going to have to go to work because of the curse. Women are going to have childbirth pain because of the curse. That doesn't mean we're doing wrong because of those things that are happening to us, but there are cases in the New Testament and cases today where people are sick because of the devil. I believe with all my heart, if people in these places, these mental institutions trusted Jesus, many of them would be whole. I believe if all that trusted Jesus would remain whole. The Bible said He sent His Word and healed their minds. I believe our institutions are full of people who are simply possessed by a demon, and I believe salvation would change it for many of them. Now, there are some that have problems. We understand that. I have a relative with schizophrenia. When he's on his medication, he's good. When he's not, something wrong with him. He realizes, he'll say, as long as I'm on my medication, I'm fine. But I lack some chemical in my head, and I need medication. So we understand that. And there's two sides to this, but we do understand that he destroys the flesh. Luke says he sifts us like wheat. He just tries to go through our lives and do all kinds of things. Now, we talked about 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. We talked about uh, the word... The Greek word, one of his devices is to mess with our mind. The word's translated think in Philippians 4, 7. To think. And we're going to look at several verses right now. Look at, first of all, at 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. We looked at this last week on Sunday morning, but we're doing a little something different tonight. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 10 and 11 ten and eleven. It says here to whom ye forgive my thing excuse me, to whom ye forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgave anything, to whom I forgave it, for your sakes, forgave I it in the person of Jesus Christ, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Now, we, we understand this word devices is a Greek word, the word methods, and we tracked this down. We looked at several words and concluded that his methods and, methods and his devices are all about affecting our mind. He doesn't cause my flesh to sin. My flesh wants to sin all by itself. Do you know that? My flesh has terrible, terrible desires. Yours does as well. But he puts the thought here, and the thought tells the flesh, wouldn't that feel good? Wouldn't that wouldn't that be something you want to do? And he puts those thoughts in there. But notice one of his devices here is not forgiving others. So an unsound or an unforgiving spirit is one of the things he uses. People who don't forgive become bitter. God will never use a bitter person. There have been times in my life where I struggled with bitterness. had to Repent. There's been times as a pastor I've struggled with bitterness. As a missionary I've struggled with bitterness. And you have to, you have to realize that that's a tool of the devil. Causing you not to forgive someone. Even if, even if they don't ask for forgiveness, you still forgive them. I love what Jesus did. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. You know, we want someone to come crawling to us to forgive. That is one of his devices. Harboring something against someone. And if you do that, it's hindering your walk. And also here, an unsound mind, at the same two verses. The Bible says, we're not ignorant of His devices. And, and He is one who will afflict the mind. He'll cause us to be confused. We're not going to go into that because last Sunday morning we covered that Greek word so well, and I think you know that. You can go to the website and watch that message. But, oh, does He ever influence our mind. Causes us to think things. Remember we said how you'll just be trying to live right and he'll put a thought in your mind. He doesn't like you. She doesn't like you. They're talking about you. You know? Or it'll cause a man to to look at a woman and say, Oh, wouldn't that be great? And we talked about all those different things. He's constantly working on your mind. And spiritual warfare is real. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers and rulers of darkness. We mentioned that last week. We explained what all that was last week. Can't go into all that for sake of time. But we are in a battle. An unforgiving spirit and an unsound mind and then an unhealthy message. I like 1 Corinthians 7.5. 1 Corinthians 7.5. It says this. Defraud ye not one another except that we consent for a time that ye may give yourselves to fast and prayer and come together again, that Satan not tempt you in your inconsistencies. So he, he causes marriages to be unhealthy by a husband and a wife, defrauding one another of physical things that they need. It's another one of his tools. It's another one of his tools. So we have all of his tools. We've we mentioned so many tonight. But the word in 2 Corinthians 2.11, we said, is the word devices, and it's translated mind in your Bible. It's translated think, it's translated understand in Matthew 16.11. So it's all about the mind. I'm getting back to that again. Next week we're preaching from Mark chapter 10 on how to get out of a rut. We're going to tie this together, it won't be this message tonight, but we're going to We're going to help you with some more clarity on this matter. And I said this morning, probably most people won't show up. The devil will make sure to make next week a hard week to get to church. He he knows what we're doing. He knows when he's being attacked and he hates it. But if we resist him, he'll flee. Now, what are we to do, Pastor? You've gone so fast, you've thrown all this at us. What are we going to do? Well, there's several things we need to have. First of all, we need to have a guarded mind. A guarded mind. Look at Philippians 4.7. Philippians 4.7. It says, In the peace of God, I love this, which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. The word keep is the word guard so we need to guard our minds and my mother used to quote this next verse and i hated it find your brethren what's sort her of things are true what's sort her of things are honest what's sort her of things are just what's sort her of things are pure and she went on to say think on these things i'd come home mad about something and she'd quote this verse because she realized i needed to change my thought process she knew that was the devil doing that to my mind you know and she would quote that but we need to have a guarded mind A godly mind and a guarded mind are one and the same. The peace of God. I like Colossians, which says, let the peace of God rule your heart. Peace of God is so important in your life. The word rule, we get our word umpire from that. Let the peace of God make the call. Listen, when you doubt, don't do it. When you don't have peace, don't make that decision. Change your direction, change your plans, because the peace of God is very important in your life. So we have a guarded and godly mind. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. A verse I've quoted to you often, but we want to see it now. Mark your Bible. 1 Corinthians, Hebrews, James, 1 Peter. I said 1 Corinthians, 1 Peter chapter 1, and verse 13. So not only a guarded mind, the word keep, keep your mind on the right things, but we find here a girded mind. And you know this verse. 1, Corinthians, or 1, <laughs> 1 Peter 1 13. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Remember, we talked about girding last week, girding our hips and our loins with truth. We're told here also now here to gird up the loins of our mind. Don't let everything in. See, when you dwell on it, when you have a bad thought and then you think about it, how good that would be. Or you have, a, you know, the devil comes and says, that lady in the church doesn't like me and she turned her back on me and she's rude and I don't like her. When that kind of thought comes in, you need to dispel it right then. Just get it out of your mind. When you have a lustful thought, guys, immediately you need to stop and realize who put that in your mind. It came either through the ear gate or the eye gate. Jesus actually gives us a hyperbole. He said, if your eye offends you, pluck it out. Now, does he want us gouging our eyes out? Of course not. It's a high piperty. He exaggerates to let us know the seriousness of looking at sinful things. It's very serious. You know, and a woman's sin is probably wanting to be lusted after a man's is lusting. And we need to realize that we should gird up, protect what comes in the eye gate, protect what comes in the ear gate. Years ago, a friend of mine said, well, it doesn't hurt to look. Yes, it does. If you really believe that lie, you're believing the lies of the devil. When you look at a woman who's either inappropriately dressed or has a figure that's really attractive to you, you need to look away as soon as you notice her. Because the ear gate and the eye gate are how the mind is influenced by the enemy. In Isaiah 53 or 26.3, we're not going to turn there, but we need a governed mind as well. Guarded, girded, and governed. What is it? What do I mean by governed? Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. When we keep our minds on the Lord, we're governing our minds to think about the right thing. Remember, we're all going to stand before him. As Christians, remember this, we're chastened in this life. You know that? He doesn't chasten the world. Remember the psalmist, he's complaining, he's saying, God, if they do all this and they get by with it, and I do something and you spank me for it, and I'm paraphrasing. We have to understand that our chastening comes in this life. Our sin's paid for. We're not going to stand before God for our sin. It's taken away at Calvary. So God deals with us here and now. But they're going to stand before him at the great white throne judgment. They're going to pay for those sins. Quit worrying about that. Remember that you are being observed by God right now. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding, seeing the evil and the good. He lives in us. And he's aware of everything we're doing wrong. So we need a governed mind. Remember this, Satan is a fallen angel, is not like God in that he's not omnipresent. He can't be everywhere like God. He goes to and fro. Job 1.7. He's not all-knowing. He's not omniscient. Angels don't even understand salvation. He listens to us pray. He watches our eyes. He watches how we live, he and his demons. And that's how they operate, by watching and listening and learning from us. He's not all-powerful. Romans 13.1 and Job 2 both say... That there's no power but of God. All power in this universe is given by God. All authority has been given by God. Without God, He has no power, nor is He eternal. Ezekiel says, Thou wast created, perfect when you were created, but you chose to fall. So we need to leave Satan in the dust, leave him in the dark, where he belongs. Jesus Christ is all power. His death, burial, and resurrection has automatically defeated Satan. A sentence has been pronounced. It just had not been carried out yet. Doom will be his end. The Bible says in Revelation 19, God's going to defeat his armies. The Bible says he's going to bind him for a thousand years during the Millennial Kingdom. He's going to bind him up for a thousand years and rule a perfect rule. He'll annihilate his armies at the end of that thousand years in the battles of the nations. He'll, and then he'll cast him forever into the lake of fire. That's going to be a day of celebration. <laughs> well, we're going to praise the Lord when Satan's dealt the final blow. Amen. Calvary's already introduced him to his, his defeat. But boy, it's going to be great when God deals with him forever. And remember, as we've said before, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. We have the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, in Jesus in Matthew 4 and Mark 4, both places, use the Word of God. And by resisting Satan, Satan would flee. And when you quote scripture and hide the word in your heart, and you quote it and memorize it and state it over and over again, he'll leave you alone. I told him several times this week, you're doomed, buddy. You're not my buddy, buster. You're doomed. And I'll quote scriptures. And I say to Satan, Jesus Christ paid for my sin. I'm forgiven. I'm set free, and you have no hold on me. And I'll even quote the verses from Matthew 4 and Mark 4 and say you're doomed. And finally, memorize Scripture as we said, Psalm 119. Thy word have I hidden mine heart, that I might not sin against thee. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Lord, we know you're an awesome God, and you've defeated our enemy. Tonight we went over so many verses. We really didn't have... Uh, adequate time to spend time in 50 different verses. But, Lord, we know those verses are real. They're your word. And we just trust that you'll help us to fight the enemy, to resist him in everything we do. Bless now in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing.